Well, good morning. Well, I remember that song came out in 1996. I was a senior in the youth group in University Baptist Church, and our choir, the chapel choir, as it was called at that time, sang that song, and I loved it then, and I love it now. Thank you, Ms. Collier. Thank you, Johnny, for that beautiful song. Let's give him one more hand. The choir is amazing here. Well, my name is Brian Briscoe, as Caroline, or as Miss Caroline, as we call her in our family, told you. I'm a, a longtime member of University Baptist Church. I've, I've worked for this church at times. I've uh, volunteered at this church, and now I'm raising my family in this church. And uh, this church means a lot to me. It's a, it's a very special place. And if you're a first-time guest here, we hope that you feel very welcome. Uh, our pastor, Jeremiah, as Caroline said, is away in China, meeting for the first time and picking up his new son, David Wu. He and his family are there for a couple of weeks. He texted me right before I, uh, I got up to preach and told me they are doing well. Uh, he sends his greetings to you. Um, he's thinking about us right now as we, uh, we worship God, and uh, I hope that y'all will continue to pray for that family um, to prepare this church to meet sweet David, um, to, to pray that, they're safe, uh, that their travels will be safe and that they'll be back soon. Um, so today, we are going to continue preaching on Genesis. And Jeremiah, in his wisdom, preached last week on one verse. He preached on Genesis 1-1. And he said, Brian, it's going to sound like a lot, but I want you to preach on the next 40 verses. And you've got about 25 minutes to do it. So that's what we're doing today. We are going to cover Genesis 1-2 through Genesis 2-3. So if you have a, a, a Bible in front of you, go ahead and pull it out. I am going to read the text, which is going to take about half of my sermon. Um, but if you're not going to read the text of the Bible in church, where will you read it? I did tell the folks upstairs that they did not have to type out 40 verses to put on the screen. So if you want to follow along, we're going to be reading Genesis 1-2. I'm going to focus my message this morning on what this passage tells us about God as creator and what it tells us about us as God's creation. So let's read the text. As I said, I'm reading from the New American Standard this morning. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. 
There was evening and there was morning a third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth earth were completed, and all their hosts. By the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Let us pray. O God, we thank you for your creation. We are in awe of your creative power. We we bow down before you as our ruler, and we thank you for your goodness and for all the gifts and blessings you have bestowed on us, most importantly, the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Teach us to be good stewards of these gifts and of all your creation, for it is in your name that we pray. Amen. So the creation story tells us a lot about God, and in fact, you could argue that all of our understandings about who God is have their roots in this story. It is, after all, the beginning. So I'm not going to be able to cover everything that this chapter, this story tells us about God, but I want to focus on three things, I think, that we can understand about God from his creative actions. And those three things are his power, his sovereignty, 
and his goodness, his power, his sovereignty, and his goodness. So first, the creation account teaches us that God is all-powerful. And for you and me, this is pretty self-explanatory. I'd ask you to look around right now at everything you see in this building. Or think about everything you have ever seen in your life. Everything you're imagining right now or everything you can see was created by God from absolutely nothing. And the way he was able to create was by simply speaking things into existence. So God can say, let there be light, and there is light. He can say, let there be animals, and there are animals. He can say, let there be humans, and there are humans. And God did that over and over until he created everything and set forth into motion the processes for creation to continue going forward. And not only that, but he sustains creation. He holds creation together all by himself. Our God is a very powerful God. Did you know, and this is for John Fisher, I hope he's here, I see him. Did you know, John, that there are billions of galaxies in the observable universe? In fact, scientists think there are 10 billion with a B galaxies in our observable universe that we can see with our high-powered telescopes. And if we assume there are an average, this is scientists again, not me, they assume there's an average of 100 billion stars per galaxy. So there are one billion trillion stars in the observable universe. And that's not counting the galaxies and stars that we can't see as humans. The Bible tells us that our God is so powerful that he made every one of those billion trillion stars simply by speaking them into existence. And not only did he just speak them into existence, Psalm 147 says that God made each and every one of those billion trillion stars, and he calls each and every one by name. Our God is a powerful God. And if we flip it around and we look more at the microscopic level, scientists believe that every one of us, every human being, is made up of 37.2 trillion cells. Now think about how many cells have ever made up every human being that has ever existed on earth. Our God had the power to, to start that creation process. Our God's um, speaking into existence started that process. He's a powerful God. The psalmist says this about it, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech of language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the earth. You see, nature points to, it proclaims, it witnesses the power of our creator God. You can't help but look at the skies or the mountains or the ocean or a brand new newborn baby and not think about how powerful our God is to create out of nothing such awe-inspiring and complex things. Our God is a powerful God. That is the first characteristic we learn about God in the creation story. Second, the creation story teaches us that God is Sovereign, which is what that beautiful song was all about. Sovereign means endowed with supreme authority. 
And the reason he is endowed with supreme authority is because he created everything. So as creator of everything, he has the right to rule over everything. God is subject to no one. He is influenced by no one. He is absolutely independent from everyone, and he can do what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants. God is the king over all of his creation. He sits on the throne. Paul puts it this way in Colossians, God is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. God, as creator of the world, has the right to rule over it as he sees fit. He is sovereign. He reigns supreme. So the creation story tells us that God is all-powerful, that God is sovereign. In the hands of the wrong person, that would be a bad combination. But the third characteristic we learn about God is that he is good. God is good. He is good, why? Because he creates good things. If you remember, everything God created, he called good. Um, I was just at, some of you might have known Dr. Toller. He was a longtime professor at Southwestern Seminary, Bill Toller. And he used to preach a, um, a sermon called Creation, Choice, or Chance. And in it, he would talk about all the amazing things that you have to believe to believe that the earth that we stand on that sustains life was created simply by chance over years and years of evolutionary processes. Um, I'm stealing a little bit from Dr. Toller in his honor. I went to his funeral about two weeks ago. I encourage all of you to look up his sermon, Creation, Choice, or Chance. Um, he was a, a great man. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dedicate this little part to him because I stole, I borrowed. I borrowed from Dr. Toller. He was my professor and I worked for him at seminary. I think he'll give me a break. But evidence of God's goodness, I believe, and Dr. Toller taught, is found in the fact that earth exists in a perfect way to sustain life. Out of those 10 billion galaxies, there is only one that exists in such a way to hold a planet that is capable of supporting life, and it's ours. There are some facts, and these are from Dr. Toller's sermon, um, that make this planet uniquely situated to sustain life. And let me just give you some. First of all, we are the perfect distance from the sun to support life. If we were farther away from the sun, the earth would be too cold to support life. If we were closer to the sun, the earth would be too warm to support life. The earth rotates at the perfect rate to sustain life. If our rotation was slower, our days and nights would be longer, which would cause all of our plant life to burn up during the long days or to freeze during the I mean, the, the long days or to freeze during the long nights and vice versa. The earth is the perfect size to sustain life. If it was smaller, our gravity would not be able to hold atmosphere or water. If it was bigger, gravity would be too much for life to be sustained. The earth's crust is the perfect size. If it was 10 feet thicker, the metallic elements in the crust would have combined with all the oxygen in the atmosphere, ruling out the possibility of life. Our oceans are the perfect depth to sustain life. If they were a few feet deeper, they, could absorb, they would absorb so much carbon dioxide that it would um, kill all the plant life on Earth. The moon is the perfect distance from Earth. If it were closer, the ocean tides would completely submerge the continents twice a day. 
Now, those are just a few of the facts that make me think that our God is a good God. He created this place for us, and it was not by chance. It is a good place for you and me to live. This tells me that God's not only powerful enough to create such a place and that he is sovereign over it because he created it, but also that he is good because he wanted to create and sustain life for things other than himself. And he created the perfect place for that. Our God is a good God. These three characteristics of God, that he is powerful, that he is sovereign and good, should be comforting to us as his creation. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, put it this way, there is no attribute more comforting to God's children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, God's children believe that God as sovereign has ordained their afflictions, that God as sovereign will overrule those afflictions, and that God as sovereign will sanctify them. There is nothing for which the children of God ought more earnestly to contend than the doctrine of their master over all creation. The kingship of God over all the works of his own hands. It is God upon that throne that we just sang about that we love to preach. It's God upon that throne who we put our trust in. Or for my kiddos, as Mr. Beaver says to Susan in C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, in response to little Susan's question about the great lion Aslan who's standing in for God, is he a safe, is he a safe lion? Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, who says anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good, just like our God is good. He's the king, just like our God is the king. He is all-powerful, he is sovereign, and he is good. And all of those characteristics are manifested in his creation. And out of his goodness, he gave us humans who are the apex of his creation, which I think we're going to hear about more next week. God called everything he created good, Then he created us, and he said we were very good. He gave us three gifts, I believe, at creation. So this powerful God, this sovereign God, this good God gives us, as the apex of his creation, gifts. The first gift that he gives us is his image. He didn't give his image to anything else he created but us. The text says that God created us you and me in his image, that although we are not God, we share in the identity of God. Pope Francis puts it this way, God gave us his DNA. That is, he made us like his children. He created us in his image and likeness like him. C.S. Lewis says this, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilization, those are mortal, and their life to ours is like the life of a gnat. But it is immortals. It is people made in the image of God whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit, see on the street, see in the customer service, see in the drive-thru window, work with at work, go to church with, all of those people from our president to homeless people to everybody in between, All of those people are made in the image of God, and they have dignity, and they have worth. We are set aside from the rest of creation because we are the image bearers of the all-powerful, sovereign, good God, and that gift comes with responsibility in how we treat others in our lives. 
The second great gift God gave us at creation is the earth, where we live. He provided that humans should have dominion over all of creation and gave us the task of fostering and stewarding his creation. Our job as stewards of God's creation is not to destroy it or to exploit it, but to make it grow, care for it, safeguard it, and make it bear fruit. Wendell Berry writes that the care of the earth is our most ancient and most worthy and, after all, our most pleasing responsibility. To cherish what remains of it and to foster its renewal is our only legitimate hope. It is our job. It is a divinely ordained task, our first divinely ordained task, to protect and work to renew God's creation, which is the earth we are standing on, and to teach our children to protect and work to renew God's creation. The third great gift that God gave us at creation is love. I'm jumping ahead because I think next week we're doing Adam and Eve, and then Jeremiah is going to talk a little more about this in two weeks from now. But God knew at creation that man needed companionship and relationship, and that the relationship with him, with God, was not enough. So he gave humans the capacity to love each other. And we learn in the New Testament that that is the greatest of the gifts, love. And for these great gifts, for the gift of his image that we all share, for the gift of the earth that we all live on, and for the gift of love that we all experience, we should forever be thankful to our Creator. We should proclaim with King David in another great song I used to sing up there, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Who has displayed your splendor above the heavens when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained? What is man that you have thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him just a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But despite these wonderful gifts given by a powerful, sovereign, and good God, and despite the fact that God provided humans the perfect place to live in perfect communion with him and with each other, humans as we are prone to do, immediately begin rebelling against their Creator. We immediately begin to fail to live the type of lives that we were created to live. Instead of worshiping God alone, we began to worship His creation and bow down before trees and stones and statues. Instead of submitting to His supreme authority, to His sovereignty, we begin to quarrel and fight for the right to rule over each other. Instead of recognizing his image in each other as image bearers of the creator God, we began to enslave each other and classify each other based on our skin color or our sex or our physical appearance or our strength or everything else you can think of. We replace the goodness and love of God with evil and hate. And all of those actions create an incredible, unbridgeable separation between God and humanity between the creator, the good creator, and his rebellious creation. And try as we might, humans on our own cannot repair the damage. But don't forget that I said God was good. And a good God, and an all-powerful God, and a sovereign God knew this was coming. And he had a plan from the very 
beginning. The New Testament tells us that Jesus was the plan from the very beginning. God knew that humans would not be able to live up to his standard, and he knew that one day he would have to strip himself of all of his power and strip himself of his sovereignty and become part of his creation in order to redeem humanity. And he did that 2,000 years ago in the form of a son, Jesus, who, although he was God, emptied himself of all power and sovereignty and became a man. Born as a weak and powerless baby, he died a weak and powerless criminal on the cross. And he did that to undertake the punishment that should have been reserved for us because of our rebellion against the Creator God. Can you imagine the Creator killed by his own creation? But we know that the Creator, the all-powerful, sovereign ruler of the universe, cannot be held down forever. And in three days, he rose again. And he promised humans that if they believe in him, they could also rise again after death and have eternal life spent with him in perfect communion and relationship as it was planned all along. Except now there's a new place, a new place of a new creation, a new heaven and earth, a place of no death, a place of no tears, of no pain, of no sickness, no war, no brokenness, no division. Everything that that first perfect garden was supposed to be is waiting for us if we just believe in Jesus and what he has done for us. What we have in our future is perfect communion with our Creator and perfect communion with our Savior. Jesus' character revealed in his death and resurrection was completely consistent with that of his Father, and that's because they are one and the same. Like God, Jesus is powerful, he is sovereign, and he is good. And like God, he is the giver of gifts to his people, including the gift of eternal salvation to his special creation, you and I, his image bearers. And for that gift, we are most thankful to God. I want to extend an invitation to anyone who would like to meet with a church staff member to come up front at this time. Miss Caroline is going to be standing up front, and if you are thinking about Jesus for the first time, if you want to know about, more about what Jesus can do in your life, then please come up and talk to Caroline. Um, if you've decided to commit your life to follow him, if you decided that that perfect communion with God is something that's missing in my life, then now is the time to come talk to Miss Caroline about that. If you're looking for a church home, if you're looking for people who are struggling with what does it mean to be a Christian, how can we live more like that community that God originally wanted us to live, please come forward and join. Now is the time. And if you simply want to pray or talk, we're going to extend some time now where you can come up front and do that. So please do that. While the rest of us stand and sing, only a holy God.